Welcome to Professor Forever. I am the Professor Forever. I'm going to talk about time today. Daylight savings time recently occurred. It seems to me to be a stupid convention. I was just talking to a friend about it. I remember when I was a kid somebody telling me that it had something to do with farmers. But my friend today, who is very smart, by the way, said that he has read that that was an urban legend. Don't know. I also heard when I was a kid that it had something to do with kids going to school and parents wanting them to be standing at the bus stop in daylight. True? Did you ever hear this? Let me know. Before I start talking about time, I would like to recount a dream that I had. I was just trying to look up the meanings of the action that I saw in the dream, and most of them were negative. And you know how Professor Forever feels about that. She only likes to listen to or follow the guidance of horoscopes when she feels drawn to them. And so I am not going to accept or believe the interpretations that popped up to me. I feel like there were other interpretations. It had to do with rescuing someone from a fire. Animals were also becoming people. But because of who I was rescuing from a fire, it reminded me of a friend that I met back in the late 80s, early 90s, and her family. And it relates, they connect to a job that I had that I haven't talked a lot about which was being a journalist for the leaders. It was a collection of weekly newspapers. I think I have touched on this job before. The best story that I always pull out of this bigger job story is how I got the job. And I happened to have been on Prozac at the time. And I do think that has something to do with it. But when I went to to interview for the job, I was going to say audition. When I went to interview for the job, at the end of the interview, 
the publisher said, great, now sit down and type out a story for me. Make up a news story and we'll see how you write. So I sat down at a typewriter and I typed very slowly because I've never learned how to type. And actually, in my life, I spent the majority of my career life, maybe not now, I think being a professor has taken over the top spot of length of time in a career. But for a long time, my primary career of life was being a journalist. And I never learned how to type. I still don't know how to type. Anyways, I sat down at the typewriter. It was a typewriter. And I started clicking away while my brain was racing. And he stopped me and he said, wait, you don't know how to type? You're coming here for a job as a journalist and you don't know how to type. And I said, do you want a typist or do you want a writer? One of the best lines I've ever given to anyone in any circumstance. He liked it. He gave me the job. I had said also that I would stay and finish whatever stories were given to me. Um, I would not leave the newsroom until I was done with my work. And I ended up spending many, many hours at that job and many hours in the field. And this is how I met these people. I was covering girls' sports in a village associated with my town. I actually think that I also helped forge the career of this friend's daughter. Watching them play, I said in an offhand comment to their basketball coach, you know, I really think you should move her to a power forward position instead of using her as a guard. And I don't know if he was going to do it anyway, but he did move this player into a forward position and she ended up breaking many records at this school and then going on on a basketball scholarship to a university where she played also breaking some records. So I feel good about that. When I was at that job, I became not just a reporter. I was a sports writer. I was thrown into that because I didn't have one. And boy, was that fun. I remember reading all kinds of classic sports articles to make myself accustomed and learned about the jargon for each sport. I became a photographer, again, just because somebody was missing one day and they sent me out to take a shoot and it worked out well. I actually got to be pretty good at photography. I remember one time I was standing at a football game next to a renowned photographer in my town. We both saw, it was storming, we both saw a wide receiver catching a touchdown pass with his 
fingers outstretched. And he took the shot a millisecond before me, and he said to me, you missed it. In fact, he had missed it. And when I got that picture published in The Leader, his parents called me up and asked me for a copy of that photo and said that their son couldn't be prouder of winning the Heisman than he was of seeing that fantastic photo in the local paper. That made me feel great. More about being a photographer later. I also got the opportunity to become a columnist with this job at the local paper. So I applied one of my first formal pseudonyms. I was thinking of Slats Grobnik, Mike Royko's alter ego, when I invented Lee Franham. I'm not going to tell you how it's related to my name, but if you happen to know my actual name, maybe you can figure it out. Lee Franham was able to tell stories about her past that the actual person working at the leader was not. I've had many pseudonyms since, some that are active today. The one that I use the most today is Sappho Aurelius. I have been posting photographs of Sappho Aurelius on Facebook and Instagram. She is my ancient Greco-Roman alter ego. But I've also been Kit McCat, and I still am Kit McCat. Kit McCat is a member of a rock band that I belong to called the McCats. Her nickname is Kit because she plays the drums. And I've also been very connected with Francis York Morgan in the fascinating sweary game Red Leaves or Deadly Premonition. I have played other games as Sid Gray, who I put up as my son. I play some slots apps as Seth Hanrahan. There's an interesting uh, story there. I feel like, and I happen to notice that there was a real person on Facebook with that name. And he is a very good-looking young man. And I get many friend requests on this app from good-looking young men. I think perhaps they are hoping to hook up with Seth Hanrahan. So if the real Seth Hanrahan is getting a lot of random messages, DMs, and they happen to be listening. I'm sorry that happened. I thought I had just pulled that name 
out of a favorite sound pool. Okay, back to time. I've had theories about time that I've shared with people. You know, I'm a theory person. I think if you've listened to a number of podcasts, you know that about Professor Forever. I think that time is relative to size. Now, I'm no physics wizard. I do enjoy reading about quantum physics and physics, and I watch documentaries on it, but I certainly cannot claim to know anything of great value. I like to think about things experientially. And so, to me, when I was small, time was big. A day when I was four was like a week when I was 15. Now, of course, this has to do with familiarity too, right? Repetition of something. When something is novel, it takes longer to go through it, both on the positive side and the negative side, as you are becoming accustomed to it. But I also think it actually has something to do with physical size. A day was huge to me when I was shorter. So that's one of my theories about time. Of course, we all have experienced the mental connection with time. I hear a lot of people saying they're having fatigue from daylight savings time. I, too, had to take a nap yesterday. Just in the middle of the day, all of a sudden, I got tired. And I think it was a jet lag, to use a term, from daylight savings time. But we all know that time is affected by a mental state. The last minutes of a school period, for example. Remember how you used to sit in that desk and watch the second hand on the clock ticking its way towards, in my case, 2.30, which meant the end of school. And you were waiting for something particularly wonderful to happen that day. How long each second took to complete itself. Being on a plane ride always seems really, really long to me. I dwell in each minute of a plane ride if I'm not doing something to distract myself. On the other hand, if you're having a great time, let's say I'm at a great basketball game, to reference what I was talking about earlier, or some other fun activity. Time goes by in a flash, right? And it's not just about being distracted. I really feel like time feels compressed when you're in a state of elation or excitement. I have talked about my theories of spirits 
and how I feel that or believe that spirits are separated from us dimensionally. And people who can hear spirits and sense spirits are humans who are able to get close to the edge of our earthly dimensions. And they're contacting spirits who are able to get close to the edge of their spiritual dimensions so that there's just this fine line between these two beings. And they can hear as if through a wall, a thin wall. Well, I have a new theory about this that came to me the other day. So humans have decided to create linear time. Time is actually, and I think I'm right about this. If I'm not, please let me know. Cyclical. And we see cycles of time happening from our planetary view, right? With our seasons and our moon and our revolution around the sun. But inside these circles, these revolutions, we take a segment and pull it straight, right? This is why we have a day and we progress in a day and then we stop and then we start it over again. So we cut out these little segments of a cycle and smooth them out into straight lines. Well, now I'm starting to think that our planetary sphere, if you imagine it as a circle on a piece of paper, how we lay out straight lines going down through the circle, which actually kind of makes sense to me too, because this is about days getting longer and then getting shorter again, right, with the seasons. But really those lines are continuing out past our perspective of that sphere, there's a larger sphere that we can't even imagine of revolutions going on way out beyond us. And these lines are continuing through our little idea of sphere, of cycle, through those lines that complete the circle. And I think maybe... That, along those lines, is where this dimension exists, the spiritual realm. Came to me the other day before I was going to sleep. And I like this idea, so I'm going to stick with it. When my time comes, I have certain rituals already planned. First of all, I am going to be cremated. It took me a long time to decide to be cremated. 
for so long I wanted to be buried in a graveyard because I love graveyards. And I love walking through graveyards and reading epitaphs. And I have a great epitaph. And I thought if I was cremated, I could not own that same space that I had dreamed about for so long. But it doesn't matter now. I know now that it is best for the earth that I go back to a basic ash. I want my ashes to be taken to a company that will turn my bodily ashes into part of the coral reef. I read about a company that does this. They make reef wreaths. They take ashes of people. They mix them up in a concrete conglomerate in the shape of a wreath. You can have things written on this wreath. And then they sail out and drop you into the ocean along the coral reef whatever coral reef you choose, I guess, depending on which company you go for, to help rebuild the coral reef. I just am titillated by this idea that fish will be swimming through a reef that has my name on it and my epitaph on it and my intention of helping them reclaim part of the ocean. I also am composing a song list, Optimistic Voices, from the musical The Wizard of Oz, is to be played. Several hymns, which have a great nostalgic um, value to me. I'm not sure all of which hymns will be involved, but I love to tell the story. Seems very appropriate. Not only am I a storyteller in this lifetime, of which I believe there are many, my mother used to sing me that song as she rocked me as a child when I was having asthma attacks. So it means a lot to me on many levels. I want certain poetry to be read, certainly some of Emily's poems, which TBD. I have a young friend working on learning how to play L'Ile Joyeuse by Debussy a lovely piano song that's quite difficult to master. So I gave her this request about a year ago, and so she would have time over the years to master this piece. She's going to be playing this piece at my memorial service, I hope. We plan. 
What is it about time that comes to you? Do you think about time as a place? I remember learning, I don't know what grade I was in, that setting was not just place, but time. Do you think about time as a place? Do you think about time as a tool? I'd love to hear more ideas about time. I think I just inspired myself to go read some more physics chapters on time. I've never been a slave to time. I feel like any kind of schedules I have made for as much of my life as I could muster, I have tried to somehow nudge my way. Some people are slaves to time. Some people have no choice or feel like they have no choice but to be slaves to time. I would disagree with that. I would say, look at your constraint if you feel that you are time-bound. How can you look at that binding in a different way? How can you melt or move that constraint in a certain way? How can you negotiate to change your time-bound mind? Maybe it'll just take having a few minutes every day that expand your time with yourself, expand your time with nature. Whenever you're hurting, nature is your mother. She will heal you and she will give you time. If you learn to spend time with earthly delights, with planetary delights, with Mother Nature, she will help you look at things in a more cyclical and perhaps then less pointed way. She'll soften the edges of time for you. That's all I have to bring today. I hope you think about time and what it can do for you. Thanks for listening. Keep thinking. She's got no lessons planned for me Because she's not that fancy She's a professor for